Welcome to Winning Is Not Everything, where we bring sanity back to youth sports by focusing on character development, effort, and sportsmanship, not rankings and trophies. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, former NFL reporter, children's book author, and youth sports coach. Can you imagine fulfilling one of the boldest dreams an athlete can have, then not getting a chance to compete? Well, in part three of our conversation with Benita Fitzgerald-Mosley, she's going to share exactly that challenge and the lessons that she learned from that experience. Let's get to it. In the summer of 1980, after immediately shining at the University of Tennessee, Benita Fitzgerald headed to the U.S. Olympic trials as an outside contender to make the Olympic team. Amazingly, she finished in the top three to earn a spot. But there was a catch for the 19-year-old. The U.S. had already decided that they were not going to send athletes to compete at the 1980 Olympics in Moscow, Soviet Union, in present-day Russia. The United States had issued an ultimatum and was among the 65 countries that did not accept an invitation to compete at the first Olympics held in a communist country. How would you feel to get so close to a dream? Benita is going to share her experience and insight, and I can't wait for you to hear them. qualified for the 1980 U.S. Olympic track and field team, but you were not able to compete due to the USOC's decision to boycott the 80 Olympics in Moscow. How difficult was that? I mean, that is, you know, you had that dream of making this Olympic team and now you don't get a chance to compete. Yes, it was. And, you know, President Carter took that that strong stance. Uh, Russia had invaded Afghanistan. And so that was politically something, I guess, that the U.S. government didn't feel comfortable sending a team to, again, it's back in the middle of the Cold War. So there were many athletes that were fighting against that boycott. Uh, Anita de France, who's been one of my biggest mentors, was one of them. So that kind of fight was going off on the side. When we went to the Olympic trials in 1980, we already knew that the boycott was going to happen. So it was a bit perfunctory, but at the same time, exciting to get in the top three to make my first Olympic team. They had already decided we were not going, but that they were going to have a big celebration in D.C. They gave us a Congressional Medal of Honor. They um, had a big parade and a big celebration at the White House. And so they tried to make it as nice as possible. It wasn't the same as marching into the opening ceremonies and competing uh, on the Olympic track in Moscow. But I was one of only there were three girls that made the team in 1980 and I was the only one to make the team again in 84. So at 18 years old in 1980, I was just fortunate to be young enough and still have, you know, the ability to come back and thankfully not only make the team, but win a gold. How realistic do you think your chances were to medal in 1980? Had there not been a boycott for the United States? Yeah, I, I didn't have a chance at meddling, but what I always say is that well, first of all, you never know how, how fast I might have run. Right. Um, but at that moment where I was ranked in the world, probably low chance, probably a good chance I would have made the final. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, we didn't have a world championships in track and field until 1983. And so you had the Pan Am Games. But in 79, I didn't make the Pan Am team. 
So this was my first huge worldwide competition. Uh, I'd done the World University Games the summer before, but it was just kids college age. And I hadn't even entered college yet, but they put me on the team. So this was it. And to have had that experience would have been life altering, life changing, career defining and make me much more comfortable in that level of competition. So I think it would have really made had a huge impact on my career. Now fast forward to 1984 and you did it. You became an Olympic champion. Was that everything that you had dreamed and hoped for? It's a pretty surreal experience to compete in front of 90,000 people, to do that on home soil uh, amidst people cheering USA and American flags waving and your family in the stands. It's a dream come true on so many levels. And I was able to kind of muster up the confidence over the few weeks prior to the games to say to myself, just kind of set an expectation to claim that gold medal. I call it, why not me? I asked myself that question on the track after practice one day, because I had always been thinking, having been an also ran or just make the final and, you know, in the midst of this uh, steroid era of women athletes in East Germany and Russia and other places, uh, doping, it was a weird kind of time. And so the fact that they reciprocated and they boycotted the 84 games, there was a certain segment of the competition that wasn't there. It was still the most athletes ever at Olympic games, the most women ever at an Olympic games. And so, you know, China was there and all the biggest countries in the world stands a, a handful of Eastern Bloc. And so I just felt magnificent. And I felt completely fulfilled and just having that mantle of Olympic gold medalist, it never goes away. Standing on the victory stand, you know, the gold medal around your neck, the anthem playing in my honor, just magnificent. We recently celebrated 50 years of Title IX, and it doesn't sound like you have some of the horror stories that some other females may have experienced. But what are your reflections? Just because you've spent so many years now working in sports with your career, with the USOC and some other incredible organizations, how do you feel we're doing right now as we celebrate 50 years of Title IX? Right. I mean, 12 times the number of girls are participating in sports now that were 50 years ago, but we're still not at the same participation rate as boys were in 1972. So it tells you that we've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. There's still a million fewer opportunities that girls have to play sport in high school than boys have. And so we still have a long way to go. And I'm just hoping it doesn't take us 50 years to reach full parity, that We're able to accelerate the change that we want to see, open up opportunities for girls, particularly in middle school, high school. And that although I have nothing to say for girls who excel and become the best, my daughter recently, you know, one of the top athletes in the state and and in the country and in her respective sprint events. And so I have nothing against kids uh, excelling at a high level, but I also want the participation rates to grow. And so I want to see more intramural sports. I want to see more uh, rec sports. 
I want to just, just for the pure joy of participating, the physical activity, the teamwork that kids build, the life lessons that they enjoy and grow and build, those things are intangible and you're only able to achieve them through sport. So we have work to do and we can't rest on our laurels, even though we see girls on fields everywhere, there are a whole lot more that we should have out there. And we need to do more to make it fun and and accessible for girls of color as well, because that's the only way we're gonna ensure that all the kids that want to and, and need to have that opportunity. So Benita, you have done so much great work and you continue to be a champion of sports and for young women. So my final two questions for you. First, what's one message you have for youth sports parents today? I would say stay involved. And I, I don't mean stay involved by harassing the, the referees and harassing the coaches. And that's not what I mean. I just mean be there for your kids, be at their competitions, support them, encourage them, uh, let them know that the point of this is to stick to it, to work hard, to be a good teammate, to follow you know those, those instructions from the coach, be coachable. And if they end up, their talent and passion and hard work lead them to be great at that sport, fine, but that you're going to be with them and supportive of them, regardless of the outcome on the playing field. My second question is, what's one message you try to instill in kids that look up to you? Well, I kept going to go back to why not me, because I, I want kids to envision themselves being great in this life. And, you know, they talk about this silly imposter syndrome. And I, I honestly just don't believe that, that if you're if you've reached a certain level, if you can dream about doing something in your life, whether it's on the playing field or it's something you want to achieve in school or uh, a career that you want to have for yourself, you know, just ask yourself, why not me? You know, why, why not me be the one that, you know, wins a state championship? Why not me be the one that gets my college degree or my medical degree? Why not me the one that becomes principal of the school or, you know, an airline pilot or whatever it is that they have set for themselves that dreaming about those things and putting plans in place to allow yourself to get there. I always say, the 1980 Olympics had a teammate that got eighth place. And I think, well, yeah, that might've been last place in that race, but it was the eighth fastest in the world. And if you, she probably wanted to win the gold medal. So she fell short. So she's eighth best in the world instead of the first best in the world that day. Even if you fall short of those goals, ensuring that you're encouraging your own self and that you're not putting mental blocks in the way by asking yourself, why not me? You're going to get so much further than if you hadn't set those goals in the first place. Well, Benita Fitzgerald Mosley, it has been an absolute pleasure and honor to talk to you. I really appreciate all your great insights. I love the vision you have for the next years ahead. And I also hope that we don't have to wait another 50 years to get some of that equity and parity. So thank you very much. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Winning Is Not Everything. Please make sure to like the podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you can immediately get the latest episode. If you have any comments or questions, visit my website, seankjensen.com, and go to the contact page where you can even leave me a voice recording. Winning is not everything, but the three H's to be a real hero in life are hustle, humility, and heart. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, and we'll see you again next time. Oh,